Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome listeners to this edition of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Patch and with me, ready to slide down a hill at 70 plus miles an hour as my best friend and fellow sled god, Aaron. Nope. It's not happening. It's not not doing it. Come on. Sorry. Just, no, come on. Nope. 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 Lana nope, Bob, not. two man, mm-hmm. four man. I mean, what, no. what will convince you? <laughs> um, if it was flat. You th- <laughs> That's what would convince me, Patrick. I am here and I am excited <laughs> okay. to talk about this movie with you, but I am not going down that daggum bobsled. Okay. Tunnel. Well, not happening. I tried, listeners. And it <laughs> <laughs> it's 2022, an even year, and you know what that means. Olympic fever is about to take hold of both of us, and what better way to celebrate than with a conversation on a childhood favorite, Cool Runnings. This is your spoiler warning, and with that, it's time to feel the rhythm, feel the rhyme. We're going to get on up, because it's podcast time. Well, hope I did that okay. <laughs> how many well done. Do. Yeah, it did. <laughs> All right, Aaron, I'm going to start us off with an easy softball question. On a scale of 1 to 10, how hyped are you about the Olympics? Spoiler warning, because Patrick is so hyped that he forgot to tell you that we're going to spoil the movie, even Uh, though it's a real life, kind of real life story, and it's really old. (laughs) It's also on Disney Plus, so this is our opportunity to tell you, you can go check it out right now and stream it for free on that, well, not for free, whatever. You can stream it on Disney Plus, (laughs) if you have Disney Plus. And watch this movie. And if you haven't seen it in 25 years or whatever, like myself, you should watch it again to get hyped for the Winter Olympics as well. And to listen to this episode, because both are going to be ironically fire. There we go. All right. So with that said, I'm getting hyped and I'm getting more and more excited, Patrick, as we get closer. So I have friends who follow the Olympics you know, I would say year round, but they track and they are always looking forward to that next two year cycle. It's one of their biggest events, specifically one one film critic that is here in Seattle. And I'm not that like into it. I don't pay attention that often. I kind of, you know, notice the news as it happens over the off seasons. But then, you know, we start to get within a few weeks of it and I just get more and more excited and rewatching this really did the trick. I was hoping it would. And it was the perfect kind of thing to say, okay, like after I watched this, I ended up going and loading up the Olympic calendar into my phone. So now I have all the events on there on my regular calendar that I can see when things are happening. I noticed that the opening ceremonies were freaking four o'clock in the morning, my time on Friday live so i got like plan to get up and it's actually a work from home day for me so i'm really happy about that because i can act it i texted my buddy about it he was like just think of it as an f1 race and i was like that's a good point because i have to do that for f1 races all the time i have to get up in the morning like to watch the stinking race live so are you and gonna i won't get do up, that yeah we're gonna stay up all night and then just watch the openings and then go to sleep that's actually a good point i don't know maybe there are it's, it's weird because there are events that night there but it It depends on what they are. I think it's like freestyle skating and not to spoil something later, but it might not be events that I care enough about to forego my sleep. Sure. But I definitely am going to get up and watch the opening ceremony live. And I am really excited. I like Winter Olympics better than Summer Olympics because I just enjoy more of the sports 
that take place. So there's more sports that I want to tune into and, and I care about overall. I'm the same way. I look at the Winter Olympics as having a lot more parity in terms of the number of sports that I can get into. And not to sound patriotically arrogant, but there's a lot more variety in terms of competition, in terms of you're going to get a Canadian or a Russian that's going to dominate in a particular thing. But it doesn't take away from how much I enjoy the events. Honestly, Aaron, I think the winter sports are just a lot more dangerous, a lot more daring. Even before the X game type events came through, watching the high jump, long jump, long jump. I can't remember that. I can't remember the, the what's the long. See, now now my brain's going to mush. It's what's the, the long jump? Yeah, well, the, there, there's the hot dog aerials with the moguls and, and that. And then there's the there's, there's the long literally jump. Literally a ski long jump. Yeah. Yeah. The ski jump is what it is. But I didn't think it was called the long jump because that sounded like a track and field event. But I think if there's one thing that COVID-19 did for us, it was allow us to have the Olympics two years in a row when right. it was canceled almost or delayed in 2020 to come to 2021 realizing that oh my gosh we're getting the winter games in 2022 so soon after the 2020 games <laughs> finished up i was legitimately surprised i'd forgotten almost because i was like okay cool got my olympic fix i'm gonna settle in for a long winter for two years and get ready nope 2022 is right around the corner and i'm really grateful that the olympics are happening i haven't checked in to see if the stadiums are going to be empty i don't think they are Maybe they, I don't really know, but you know, for me, I think that watching the Olympics is essentially like the optimist view of looking at the world. So every two years, countries come together to compete. It's all about the participants for the most part. Politics are thrown away. Perspectives and worldviews are pretty much not thrown away, but they're set down for a couple of weeks. And it's really about the spirit of competition. I loved Bob Costas in primetime, all the stories that came out that gave me reason to really love Olympic athletes from different nations. And now we have uh, Mike Tirico, who's killing it. I think he's doing a fantastic job. He was great last year. I think he's going to do great this year. And just being able to be around that kind of Olympic fever and to see people competing and taking pride in their country. I think that's something that we're missing right now is there's a we're definitely a country divided and you hear people say if you don't like america get out or america needs to change it's, it's needs reform and i'm saying america needs to compete and be a part of this event of two weeks worth of competition in order to recognize the fact that we should celebrate celebrate each other celebrate talent and success and failure and all these great stories that come out so for me the olympics is really the Pollyanna of sports for me, because I feel like for the most part, good things come from it. I remember last year, the story of the two high jumpers who are pole vaulters who tied and they agreed to share the gold medal as opposed to trying to have like a sudden death jump off mm -hmm. and their yeah. reaction to each other, hugging one another. Ah, oh, I mean, that's what the Olympics brings this spirit of camaraderie and competition and valuing and appreciating each other. Now, I don't know what goes on behind the scenes. I don't know if 
Michael Phelps was spitting in people's faces with water between events from other countries. I don't think he was, but I'd like to pepper fish. Yeah. (laughs) Just like that. Right. But I I'd like to believe that the Americans or Canadians, you know, folks that go to a different country, they're just excited about being someplace different and meeting new people. And, and, and that's what I'm looking forward to is just seeing how all that plays out over two weeks. Yeah, definitely, man. And well said, and in to tie it in a little bit with this movie, even I'm not the most, nationalistic kind of person like i don't have a strong feeling of patriotism for the most part not overwhelmingly so by any means and yet you know i go into these and i'm always going to root for the americans by nature because that's where i'm from however i root for good stories and almost as equally if not more and so when those two things sync up and it's a chloe kim and a new sport and it's just like awesome watching these things happen or someone you know dominating a sport for the first time in a new way. Those are cool. But when that happens and it's not an American, it's a Jamaican team doing something that's never been done before. I'm going to root for that. And Patrick, I probably going to root for that over the Americans, or I'm going to be just as equally happy with whatever success comes their way. Because like you said, it's about the spirit of competition at the most elite level. One of the things that stuck out to me and that always fascinates me about the Olympics and F1 is this same kind of thing for me because it's based on times and the Olympics often are based on like times and distances that are measured in like the smallest fraction of measuring, you know, ability here. And so like in F1, you're talking about a greatest of all time driver and you'll talk about like the 20th driver on the grid out of 20. And you, the way that the ta- the discussion goes, the way that the framing of those two people's ability comes out in commentary is one is astoundingly talented and the other is like barely hanging on to be in the sport. And they might be like 10 tenths of a second off or something ridiculous. Like it's a ridiculous margin. And in the Olympics, that, that's what we see. I remember during Cool Runnings, I, my son was watching it with me for the first time ever. And I turned to him and I was like, man, can you believe what they're griping about here? Like they were, they were talking about how it wasn't going to be good enough to get down, you know, this time or whatever. And when you looked at the amount of time, like, oh, you're not good enough because you can't do it in 102. Like you can only do it in 101 or 59 seconds. You know, you're not good enough. Even when they crash in the ultimate end of this movie, they did it faster than the 59 seconds yeah. that they did it in qualifying, and yet it's yeah. considered like this ultimate failure, right? Mm-hmm. But Or the, the pace, uh, the, or the one run sure. that they, they completed. I'm sorry, not during the crash run, but the previous run. And they're like seventh or eighth or ninth overall. Mm-hmm. But like that tells you just how incredible. And I think we can sometimes take it for granted because we see it so much these days but if you go back to history the reason the olympics came about and how people watched these for years before the kind of incredible internet and television coverage we have and access we have you didn't see like stuff like this all the time so you weren't kind of desensitized to the greatness of athleticism like we are we see it we saw today alone i watched a guy win the the you know took the lead in grand slams and men's tennis for you know overall I watched 
an incredible buzzer beating three point shot on a jumping contested, you know, shot at the buzzer in a college basketball game. And then I watched two incredible NFL games that were decided at the buzzer, just like a whole slate of games was last week. And then, you know, so we see it constantly. We were kind of spoiled in that way. But historically, the only time you really got to see that in a condensed time frame like this would be the Olympics. Right. And so it's just it's awesome to me to witness that level of greatness and that level of competition and and to kind of acknowledge that number 10 in whatever discipline that we're watching is better than still number 10 in the entire world like in what they're doing they know you know and that that is to me worth celebrating just as much as the fact that somebody won is that all of these people have earned the right to be there because they are elite 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 and uh, i don't know it's just something that i like to try and remember when i'm watching the olympics well and and i think you brought up a good point in looking at the movie you're right there was like a 102 was the qualifying time and then they changed it to a minute flat and they get under under that like 59.84 but it's interesting you watch their qualifying run and I was noticing, I was trying to be more observant of the times that the little kids were writing on the chalkboard. They had a good run. They were 58 something and they were in 27th place. And yeah, exactly. if you look at like, if you look at like the number one, it was like 56. So two seconds, one, two separated first and 28. And then they had an amazing run the next day and that vaulted them up to like eighth place going into the final day. But still, they were like a second and a half behind. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, these small numbers that exist are completely oblivious to us because we're not around them. We don't see them in context. And you're right. You have two weeks to essentially get educated on what's considered fast or what's considered high or what's considered long in order to kind of appreciate what these folks are doing. Because I'll watch an American who's not great in the, the long jump, the ski jump. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, look at him fly and land. That's awesome. And he's like in 15th place because he doesn't go as long distance wise. It's nothing compared to the best guy in the world. Doris in the movie is trying to impress his future coach. And he he's comparing himself to his dad. And he says, yeah, he ran it in 10 seconds. He goes, well, I run it in nine, nine. Well, look. <laughs> The fastest man alive runs it in nine five now, and so you're talking fifteen to twenty years later, only a half, half second has been shaved, but that's how long it takes to get faster in sports like the hundred meter dash, and so we have to be able to appreciate the fact that those small numbers mean huge things. We see that in swimming quite a bit. The one hundredth of a second that Michael Phelps beats out somebody else, and we're going nuts over one one hundredth of a second, and there's two seconds that separate him from the last place guy in the final. And I'm like, that's amazing. I want to be the last place guy because that's pretty fast. Well, and it's indiscernible for like what we would be like, Patrick, if you and I were running against Doris versus Usain Bolt and it was a nine, nine versus a nine, six or whatever the case may be, it wouldn't ha be any different. It would still look like we were just barely off the block by the time they finished across the line right you wouldn't you can only discern 
the greatness of what a tenth of a second difference looks like when you're up against that elite competition of your own level. Same thing with F1, when a car is like, you know, passes the line, it's crazy to think how fast and how close those are and those times. And so it just makes the Olympics awesome because you get to witness it as related to itself. Cause it just, it wouldn't look at all interesting compared to a normal human being. Cause there wouldn't, it would just blow your mind. Cause it'd just be over, you know, <laughs> like it wouldn't even be close. So it, it really just comes down to how do I experience fast or long or high? And ultimately it would have to be me running against Usain Bolt and getting my butt just completely scorched by him to go, that's guys, that guy's pretty fast. Otherwise, I'm just going to have to rely on fast times and just say, I think 9.5 is pretty fast. Okay, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit about Cool Runnings as a movie in relationship to a lot of the other Olympic movies that have come out since we've been alive. This was one of the early ones for Cool Runnings as far as being centralized around the Olympics. Chariots of Fire comes to mind, although the Olympics weren't necessarily the centerpiece of it. They did become a good plot point. But we've been kind of exposed to other great ones, some that aren't so good. So where does Cool Runnings for you, as you rewatch this, where does it kind of stack up in relation to these others that we've been exposed to over the last 40 years of our life? Well, it's hard to compare a bunch of the Olympic films, in my opinion, because they are some vastly different genre and tones going on. You've got Chariots of Fire, which is considered by so many to be like this standout film. And we've covered it. I think you've covered it on Cinematic Underdogs, just to give a shout out to Paul Keelan and their podcast covering all kinds of sports films and documentaries. And it doesn't hold up as well for me. I think it's a fine film. I, I don't think it's like the best movie ever made, but I think it's a fine movie. But it's very serious in the way that it dramatically handles its material. Then you have something like The Cutting Edge, which is like, a rom-com version of uh, an Olympic movie. And then you have, you know, this, which is really straight comedy drama. It was much more comedic than I had remembered, to be honest. And you have something like Eddie the Eagle, which is kind of a normal, typical drama sports film. You know, it's kind of fun, but it's really dramatic. And then you have the, the true straight drama, which is like Miracle, right? all the way through. And so these are very different films that it's hard for me to compare. And I like them all for very different reasons. I liked this a lot is what I will tell you. I enjoyed the heck out of it. It stood up for me much better than I thought it was going to. And I still have issues with it. Like there are things that I think are kind of silly and eye roll worthy, you know, Dougie Doug. There are times when his character Saika, I, literally guffaw and laugh out loud at some of the things he said there are other times that he makes jokes that i'm just like why are you in this movie why is this so lowbrow that you're here <laughs> like my goodness gracious like not because of the actor just because of the portrayal of that how you know silliness of that character but overall i just enjoy the tone and i think that this movie comes together in such a clear inspirational and loving way about the group of guys that are involved, the team, the depiction of them, even if it's not accurate, which we'll talk about, and ultimately their experience that they're having 
that it's a great way to introduce this fantastical story to an audience while also make it completely accessible and really utterly rewatchable, in my opinion. And I've also, it kind of told me something about myself, Patrick, that I've started to realize. And this was another cog in that wheel, I would say. And that is, I think when it comes to comedy, specifically, we are often going to truly gravitate toward our era and toward what we grew up with. I don't like a lot of modern comedies, and that's because the style and the way that comedy is done has changed. One beautiful thing about Cool Runnings, there is zero vulgarity in this film. None at all. Not cussing. I'm saying, like, there's no sexual jokes and, like, you know, wisecracks and, like, gross, you know, fart jokes and, like, none of the stuff that you associate with kind of the 2000s type of comedy. It's so much more just kind of silly goofy comedy and i find that i relate to that stuff so much better and a lot of these films when i've revisited them have held up for me where i thought well i don't like comedy so there's no way these are going to be any good to me anymore but because i grew up with them even if i don't remember them very well there's like this i don't know if i'm just predisposed to give them more of a break but there's something about their tone that works better for me and cool running is just kind of fell right into that wheelhouse and I loved it. I thought that it was such an awesome rewatch experience. It, it was for me too. And I have to be able to kind of temper my expectations when it comes to movies like this. When you think of Olympic movies, you think of them in those multiple ways that you mentioned. And there are movies where the Olympics are background. They are taking place in the back with a main story like like Munich being a great example that they're sort of a starting gun for something else is Munich an Olympic movie technically I guess it is is Chariots of Fire an Olympic movie I would say it's more of a sports drama because it centers around a runner or a couple of runners and the Olympics are a part of that in fact if you read Eric Little's biography I think it's one of those biographies that kind of models after chariots of fire in terms of how you tell his story because his story is about his time as a missionary in china not necessarily about winning gold that was part of it but it's a means to an end to an extent and i agree i was talking with paul on cinematic underdogs about this and it has lost its luster for me but it's still a great movie there are still so many great inspirational moments and i think that right there aaron is what makes a an olympic movie what it is is you have inspiration after inspiration after inspiration whether it's indulgence of inspiration whether it's coming from composite characters inspiration is at the heart of all of these and i think personally i gravitate towards the ones that have some creative liberty to them now miracle is probably going to be my number one and i think it's because it contains both accuracy and inspiration and that's hard to come by. I think when we look at Gavin O'Connor and what he does with sports movies in general, he has that magic touch. And so when you put the Olympics on top of that, you've got a perfect movie for me when it comes to Miracle. But then you get into movies like Eddie the Eagle and Cool Runnings, which I think fit into a similar category because what they do- And the cutting edge. And the cutting edge, you're right. The cutting edge being a little bit less and more on the comedic side leading up to the Olympics, but the Olympics are always at the- 
at the center of it in terms of like, that's what you're trying to get to. Watching these three in particular, you're getting that inspiration. You're getting that, I want to be around these folks. I want to follow their story. And you're less inclined to really kind of question, well, what really happened? Especially with Eddie the Eagle and Cool Runnings. Now, this time around, I'm watching this. And as an adult, I'm, of course, doing some internet searching. And I Google Cool Runnings facts. And the first thing that comes up is 10 things that were not factual about Cool Runnings. I knew this about Eddie the Eagle. And as much as I love Hugh Jackman, I knew that he was a composite character. It didn't bother me because the performances are great and because the story is a lot of fun and I had a great time watching it. Didn't take away from my enjoyment of the movie. I was surprised at how little this movie had in it that was factually true. The crash was pretty much it. <laughs> That's there right. There were no four Jamaicans that were trying to come together. Three of them were runners that got tripped and they came together in this crazy way. There was no, there was no coach that had cheated and won gold medals in bobsled. I don't think the U.S. has won a gold medal in bobsled since like 1940 or something. And so finding that out, I was a little taken aback. And I kind of had to check myself and say, okay, wait, how does this affect me as a viewer? And then I look to my right, and here's my son laughing at one of the many lines that Sanka says, I'm the brake man, or I'm the driver. I'm the driver. Okay, and he's you could be the driver. I, yeah. I think there used to be the driver. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> These great moments, and I realized, you know what? If it's accessible and it makes my son smile, it's doing its job. And as you mentioned, it doesn't have to have all the other crap that would make somebody else laugh. Comedy can be so varied in terms of its success. I think it's why we have so many stand-up comedians, so many different styles. And it's why I gravitate towards the Jim Gaffigans, not because they don't work blue, but because the subject matter is so relatable to me. It's that self-deprecating comedy. That's the comedy that I laugh at. Even like Mitch, but Mitch Hedberg is a completely different kind of comedian where he's just deadpan observant. And I think when you look at a movie like Cool Runnings, that's got the Disney stamp of approval, you're not going to get a lot of the questionable material. But even in something like Miracle, you're not going to get that because I think there's something pure about the Olympics. Something innocent, something youthful. And I think that Olympic movies, and I'm going to say this specifically, movies that center around the Olympics, not that take place during the Olympics like Munich or anything like that, but movies that really do use the Olympics to tell the story, they're the ones that attach to a lot of people's hearts and they get at the heartstrings. And for me, that's when cinematic manipulation is appropriate, when you can take those creative liberties. Because you have to create conflict in a story. If all you had was this Jamaican bobsled team was the first ever and they ended up crashing because of inexperience, that's not a great story. My son asked me, why did they crash? And I, I said, you mean in the movie or in real life? <laughs> because in the movie, clearly there's a malfunction with the bobsled. But in actuality, it's driver inexperience. These are first timers. 
but they were never not welcomed by the East Germans or by the Swiss. I mean, there were never any enemies, but you have to create that conflict in order to amplify the magnitude of what they did. I mean, this is a country that never competed in a winter sport at all, and they qualified. They qualified and competed. That was a big deal. So how do you put a narrative around that? Well, cool runnings is what you do. And then you add four characters that are polar opposites from one another, and you create inner conflict within them. And then you add a dash of a great screenplay. And that's what I think makes this movie so successful. And so for that, I can actually ignore all of the liberties that were taken because they're not lies. They got to the Olympics, they crashed, and they were the, it was the first time in their country's history that they were able to compete. Those facts are all that matter. Everything else is great service to those facts. And so for me, watching the movie, I enjoyed it just as much as I did as a kid, and I'm probably going to enjoy it again the next time I watch it. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on all of that. I think one of the interesting facts was that they actually were supposed to be competing, I think, in two-man bobsled, and they didn't have a fourth person until they got to the trials and they were like, oh, there's a four man. Like the fact that they didn't even realize this is just insane. They were, we should do that. <laughs> and they literally picked up some guy at the trials and threw him on the team, one of the fourth person. And that's how he joins the team. And then they bought a like old used sled from Canada to use as their sled. So while there are liberties taken in the way that they acquire the sled, there's very much a direct correlation to like, it's not like they had the money to compete at the same level as these other teams. And they did have to do something wacky to get a sled at the last minute. And they did come together in a unique way. There was an American coach in Jamaica trying to put together a team. And part of it was based on the fact that they could be sprinters. So where do you draw the natural conclusion from that? If you're going to be a good story writer, right? You want to create, like you said, tension and trauma and intrigue. Oh, well, obviously you, you got to put in some people who had dreams of being Jamaican sprinters because that would have been their goal. So, and one of the guys who was, I was watching an interview with that was one of the original four did say, he's like, listen, he's like, no, I wasn't, ready to compete and go to the Olympics as a sprinter. He's like, but I definitely had competed as a runner in many a marathon. And it's a normal thing that Jamaican men are, well, I guess in women at the time too, but Jamaicans are very proud of their running history. And so all the kids grow up dreaming of being the next great runner. And so it's a natural way to tell a story. And I think that's part of what makes the screenplay work is that, what we see is crazy, but it's not slapstick crazy. It's kind of believable crazy, you know, and it's so it's close enough to reality that we do kind of easily believe that this could have happened. It's it's really a tricky place to write, I think. And that's what makes it right. so praiseworthy <laughs> is because you can you can make it too nuts to where it takes you out of the story. And you're sure. like, okay, that's just stupid. There's no way that would have happened. And because it did it, right? But this is just kind of embellished enough to make it a little more fun along the way while also, you know, being true to the nature of the story. And then you throw in character development that you get to do that may or may not have actually happened. And you get to have, this is what he said in the interview too, is you get to have 
these positive life lessons. This guy is now a motivational speaker and goes around doing that. And he has a foundation called Keep On Pushing that's based on this. And, you know, the character of, what's his name? Uh, who's the rich guy? Uh, who's the rich guy? Oh, Junior Bevel. So Junior, right? Yeah. You get the character of Junior and you get this storyline of him having to kind of stand up for himself and learn to have confidence and to go after what he believes is his dreams at whatever cost he feels is worth it to himself. You get those great moments of him standing in front of the mirror, you know, being told by, I, I can't say this without just, it's so stupid, but like without Yul Brenner, like telling him, you know, pride, power, you are a bad mofo, right? And like, it's silly the first time and it's kind of goofy, but man, when he does it for real in that elevator, when he sees himself looking at his dad and off, it's a great shot, by the way, great camera work. You see, he can see like a half sliver of a mirror in the back of the elevator and you can see where he sees himself kind of looking past his dad as he's talking to his dad. It's awesome shot. And he uses that motivationally to say no. Listen, here's what matters to me. Like that is a lesson that who cares if it didn't happen in real life. If you're watching this movie, that's positive that you can take away from this is a person who a two people who did not like each other, one who had wronged the other and taken away something that the other one had dreamed of and had every reason to want zip to do with, right? And how forgiveness comes into this story as they get to know each other, how they open up to one another and learn about each other's situations and how one ends up motivating the same person that took away his dream to inspire him to continue to pursue his in new dream and their shared dream. And it's just, I don't know, it's beautiful. And I, so who cares if it's real? <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's those types of lessons that are almost analogous or they serve like a, like a fable of some kind or not really it, almost like a tall tale. That's a good because way to put it actually. Because, it, because they're easily accessible. They're understandable. And so being able to digest those as a kid, which is really the majority of the demographic that this was targeted for, it obviously touched a lot of adults. And as adults, we appreciate it now equally as much as we did when we were kids. But the lessons weren't hard to figure out. And they weren't overly preachy. They came in ways that were very creative. One of the things I love about that scene that you mentioned is that Junior's, Junior tells off his dad and you see the disappointment in his dad as the elevator door closes. And something interesting I caught this time around was you see how Yule looks at him and says, that's a great job. But Junior doesn't really celebrate. He puts his arms in his pocket and he just sort of slunks, slinks next to the elevator door because he knows that that was a hard thing to do, even though he needed to do it. And it was very honest. And I think that that kind of moment had finally accepts him. The truth is, that's what sons want, is their dad's acceptance. So the truth behind that may be something that is shallow or easy to digest, but it doesn't negate the fact that it's still truth. And sometimes that's okay. 
I look at the director, you know, John Turtle, Turtletop, I think is how you pronounce his name. And I mean, look at his other credits. He's got National Treasure and Book of Secrets, two movies that I absolutely love. Why? Because they take the same kind of formula of taking something that may have existed. It's the Declaration of Independence. And now no, that existed, Patrick. But definitely. I know. <laughs> but but let me but let me tell you, let me tell you, my son loves that movie. And what does he say? Dad, was Benjamin Gates real? Why? Because in this movie, you've got these characters that are attached to something that is real, the Declaration of Independence. And by the end of the movie, you think there might be a secret treasure map on the back of this thing that I just need some lemon juice and some Q-tips to discover. And in the same way, I think that's what he does here with Cool Runnings is he takes the truth and he adds to it to create something that's pretty memorable. Now, National Treasure, National Treasure 2 or adventure stories. And we love those for different reasons than we love a movie like this. But some of that chemistry and some of that formula is still there in Cool Runnings. And watching this and being able to just smile when they succeed and, and, and frown when they fail, but knowing that inspiration just is a through line through all of this. I mean, even with Irv, a character that didn't even exist, he discovered something wonderful about himself that, look, the lesson he is learning is that the team matters more than him. And that speech he gives to the, whatever that fake conference group was, the Winter Alliance or whatever, is great. The fact that he says, look, if you're mad at me, take it out of me. Suspend me, throw me out, but don't take it out of my guys. The fact that he says my guys, I mean, he is completely owning this role, not as a coach, but as a mentor, because they're giving him life just as much as he's giving them. I love the fact that Doris defends him with the, well, not defends him, but he doesn't want to believe that, that Irv cheated. But then Irv confesses to him and he says, yeah, I cheated. Why'd you do it? Because I wanted to win because I mattered. What I wanted mattered more than the team. And it's these moments right here, Aaron, that I think are so pivotal because again, they're not mind blowing lessons, but they're lessons nonetheless. And they're lessons that are still relevant today. It's not like you can't take something away from cool runnings and say, yeah, that doesn't really mean anything today. I mean, that was, that was cool back in the nineties or that made sense back in the nineties, but that's not relevant today. Absolutely it is. And I think that's what keeps cool running. So relevant today is the fact that it's the lessons that it teaches are still valuable and still important and still things that we can give to others. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. And and it's, you know, and just sticking with it, they, they go for it and whether they win or lose, it doesn't matter. We were just talking about this at the beginning of the episode. It's that spirit of competition. You can't all win a medal period. And you have to, again, during this interview I was listening to the, the guy pulls out or watching the guy pulls out an actual medal and, or it's, it's almost like a coin, it's like a medallion's coin doesn't. And, and it's a participation medal that you get for being in the Olympics most people would probably turn their nose up and be like most viewers audience a lot of time would be like oh you just big deal right you didn't win do you know what that would mean to me like that would have to mean the world to 90 percent of the people who've been in the olympics and never meddled right that's all they have that's incredible value to them the amount of work the amount of effort and that goes into even getting to that level is 
something to be praised and the idea of keep on pushing, you know, the idea of finish the race. And no, in reality, they didn't pick up the sled, which, by the way, I looked up and at a minimum, I think it, they said I read that it weighed like 450 ish pounds at a very bare minimum at more like more than likely it was 500 plus. That's insanely heavy, even for five yeah. people to like put on your shoulders. Um, but like they did walk by it. They walked with the sled across the finish line. And there's something to be said about ha- you know, doing all you could in the competition and, and feeling like you got feeling like you'd be proud of yourself because that's what matters the most yeah. is that you can live with the effort that you made. And I think that it shows that mm-hmm. uh, and, and it and ignited a country with a new sport that they'd never tried before and probably helped show the world that you shouldn't have to be limited by your surroundings. Like if yeah. you have a desire to go after bobsled, who cares if there's no ice in your country? <laughs> like you figure it out, right? The innovation is just simply fascinating. They really did train in Jamaica with these push carts. Like that's how they got started. That's not fake. That is crazy mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, and I find it to be just, just perfectly inspirational and sweet, mm-hmm. but just a blast to watch from start to finish. Well, in the in the grace in the Olympic arena is the fact that you got there. I mean, every person that walks in the opening ceremonies is absolutely proud of the fact, not only that they get to represent their country, but that they made it. I mean, the Olympic trials are there for a reason. It's because if you did not make it to the Olympics, you probably came in second or third at the trials, which is why I thought it was so hilarious, the line during the meet and greet or the, hey, we need bobsledders meeting that eventually gets deserted after that crazy video that Irv shows. We look at Sanka and he talks, all four of them are there and they're making the comment about the fact that, you know, Junior tripped them all and uh, this is their way back to the Olympics. And Sanka makes some kind of comment about how, I don't know what you guys are talking about because Doris would have kicked all your butts, which he would have. But the fact is, Aaron, they were taking four of the eight participants in that race. So who cares if you came in fourth or first, as long as you came in top four, which all three of them looked like they were going to be in the top four, I wouldn't have cared. Now, getting to the Olympics and competing, sure, I'd want to beat my fellow countrymen. I'd want to be the fastest. But you can't tell me that the eight runners or the, what, five teams or six teams that are bobsledding in that final are not proud of what they've done. Even if you come in last place, you cannot not be proud of what you've done because the Olympics, just by being there, are validation that you're the best in the world. You're absolutely the best competing against the best. And I think that not having talked to anybody who's competed in the Olympics, I got to tell you, I think I would believe that anybody who competes while they would love to win, it's one of the few times where you can say participation is just as good. And I would love to be a participant to say I was an Olympian. I don't care what it is. I mean, I joked back during the summer games, like maybe I can pick up this ping pong. Maybe I can do this. 
as funny always, as it looks. As funny happens. as it looks. Every Olympics, I'm like, curling doesn't look that hard. Exactly. I can do that. <laughs> Shuffleboard, right? Right? I mean, it's just. That's not so true. No, not at all. I love the scene with them trying to run on ice. I don't, this is a total out of the box segue, I guess, but like just tangentially, like that moment of them trying to do something that you would think they would think would be kind of like easy. Mm-hmm. Also, are those shoes real? I meant to look it up, but like, does Adidas really make shoes that help you run on the ice better? I, mean, I think, I, mean, I think there are specialty do. shoes that, that allow you to grip, you know, grip with your toes. I think that shoes, I mean, Adidas isn't probably the only brand that does that, but I think well, yeah. there are specialty shoes for, they clearly were the sponsor of the movie, but <laughs> yeah, but I, it's a, uh, anyway, yeah. Just the idea of like, you you watch these kind of comp- competitions and it does make you think well, I could do that or, or you know who knows maybe I could and maybe you could you know what maybe you could don't let me and Patrick laughing about the fact that we're old and we can't dissuade you maybe you have that ability like that's the beauty of the Olympics is who knows out there who has that ability try it out see what happens you never know where it's gonna go you think these guys grew up thinking they were gonna be in the bobsled in jamaica you know in the olympic winter olympics absolutely they did not and then you know two years passes and there they are you just you you never can be sure until you try i guess absolutely so let this serve as a psa as a motivational speech and those of you who get inspired and eventually become olympians be sure you give us a little bit of credit when you're on that podium we want to come watch. Golden... That's what we want. We want to come visit and watch. Even better. Even better. We'll hold we'll hold the the banner up, we'll hold the flag up and we'll have, you know, t-shirts. We'll wear t-shirts. We'll support you. Whatever. American Pride or, you know, Feeling Film Podcast, listen to us, whatever. We'll we'll do whatever it takes to support and be supported. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about some of the best parts about this movie, starting with the soundtrack. Aaron, this was probably one of the first CDs that I ever bought because that doesn't I've, surprise me one bit. I've, of course it doesn't. And I've, I just, you know, I listened to it religiously. It was a repeat soundtrack for me, just listening to this Jamaican music. And I just, I felt excited. It was such high energy music that I didn't quite hear in the movie. I started loving from the soundtrack and that happens a lot where you have background songs or songs that are not necessarily being sung or true scene stealing that show up on a soundtrack and you're like, I do what scene was that? And then you realize it's on the radio, like turn it up. I think was one of them was playing on the radio. And I was like, this is actually a pretty good song. The other thing was our man, Hans Zimmer, in his early days of rock and roll scores, knocks this one out of the park. I was thinking Days of Thunder as I'm listening to this score kind of blaring, had some rock and roll stuff to it. What I was disappointed in later on, because I I really did like the score as a kid, there's only two tracks that are Hans Zimmer. Everything else is soundtrack. I don't know that I ever knew or if one ever existed, an actual score of the entire movie. But it didn't matter to me because I absolutely love the soundtrack. I think the music fits perfectly. It captures that Jamaican energy in a way that I don't know if it would feel cultural, like cultural appropriation or inappropriate. I don't think so, even though none of these guys were actual Jamaicans. At least I don't think they were. But for me, I didn't care and I don't care. I think it's just 
a lot. It captures the spirit of Jamaican pride that is just fantastic. Yeah, I not as big on the soundtrack. I it's fine. It's fine. It's just not my style of music at all. I mean, I knew that you were gonna dig it by far. I mean, the things and the score didn't even register for me as noticeable that it was even existence. Although when we were watching the credits, I did text you immediately. And I was like, dude, why does this say score, you know, composed by Hans Zimmer? I was freaking out because I mean, I like deep down, he's my favorite composer, not deep down. He's my favorite. He is my favorite composer. And deep down, I know that he has done way more scores than his more popular 2000 and later epic film scores that he kind of has done with Ridley and Christopher Nolan and such. So I know that there's like these 80s and 90s scores that exist that are shocking, some of them. But I don't know what all of them individually are. And so then when this popped up, it was just like, are you kidding me right now? But the music works in context of the movie perfectly fine. I, I think it works really great. And I think that the movie gave us that amazing rhyme, right? I mean, that's just the thing that is so iconic is feel the rhythm feel the rhyme, you know, get on up, it's bobsled time. And that's not real either. But if you say those words, anybody who's seen this movie is going to know immediately what you're talking about. And it helped to capture that. You you said it perfectly. The kind of tone, the cultural way of Jamaica. Another thing that this interviewee that I was talking about, one of the guys said, was he really appreciated that they did not make them pot smokers. He said, especially at the time, the world knew Jamaica in the late 80s and 90s as nothing but that country where everybody smokes weed. And they were really concerned that they were going to put that into the screenplay and have like Sanka be just this weed smoking kind of character that would represent that cultural uh, stereotype. And he said that they, he was so proud that they didn't do that. And one of the things they did to even poke fun at it is that scene coming out of the airport in Calgary where Sanka steps out and uh, Denise, why did I call him Denise? Darice. Darice. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Darice says, so he's like, yo, man, what you be smoking? You know, and he's like, oh, it's my breath, man. You know, it's, I'm not smoking. I'm, I'm freezing. My breath. Yeah. <laughs> and so they were kind of poking fun at like, hey, guess what? No. They're not all, you know, these are Olympians. These are athletes, you know, no matter how kind of silly and goofy they are. And then the bobsled sequences, you have it in the notes here. Um, and I think that that's for both of us. You, at some point, I don't care if you're a comedy or a rom-com, cutting edge, same way. Because when it hits the ice skating sequences, they do what they're supposed to do. You get me into that moment where I feel for a brief second like I'm watching an actual competition. That's what I want and any sports film to do, Patrick. I want to be transported to the point where when it's happening, you get serious enough that I'm like, all right, I'm watching that sport and I'm in the competition and I want to feel like whether I know the ending of this movie or not, like I'm rooting for you to be successful or to win or to accomplish whatever it was that the goal of this particular sporting event was in context of its characters and that happens like i told you at the beginning of this i watched this movie i'm not going down a bobsled period like i don't, I don't care who's driving it whether it's olympians or you 
or it's on autopilot. I'm not it's not happening. Like I've been on the Matterhorn once or twice at Disney and that's good <laughs> enough for me. Okay. Well, you've said your piece. I think it's pretty much settled that we're not getting you on a bobsled, but maybe the luge. That's good too. You know, <laughs> Oh, that's think, worse. What are you talking about? Worse. It's like there's Goodness no coverage gracious. at all. There's that's no coverage at all. Insanity in that right there. Yeah, that's it's yeah, it is insane. I think what makes me excited about the the racing sequences is that I believe because I watched the crash, the actual crash footage from the from the actual race, and I believe that they inserted pieces of the actual race into the movie, and I think that's fantastic. I think when you can do that effectively, you're really bringing that realism out. Just like in Miracle, when you had the the dialogue from uh from the the announcer go from al michaels today going into al michaels from 1980 calling do you believe in miracles oh gosh i still get chills just thinking about it but that's so cool because it really brings that level of this really happened to the audience and the the camera work the way in which the cinematic parts were done I love the fact that there's a blur that leads to a sharp cut on the track and you see all the different workers coming down and sliding on the ice and just slow-mo is really effective. And and of course, it brings up that great line that comes back as sort of a an accent piece where Senka asks Doris, Doris, you dead, man? Because earlier in the in the movie, or twice multiple times well, yeah yeah he's asked are you you're dead man he goes yeah as a way to say kind of an opposite but it works so perfectly here because we're at the end of this this race and they haven't made it to the finish line they just crashed and he asks him and Doris says no man i'm not dead and then he gets up and it's just fantastic the the screenplay you mentioned earlier is fantastic and i'd be remiss if i didn't say what is mine and now my nine-year-old's favorite line in the movie? It's when, when. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing preemptively. Yeah, it's when Yul Brenner <laughs> gets right in Sanka's face and he says, "How about I kick your butt right now?" And then Sanka, without skipping a beat, goes, "How about I draw a line down the middle of your head so it looks like a butt?" I kid you it's... not. We were watching that scene. My wife was heading to brunch with some friends, and she stopped to turn around to see my son's reaction because that's the line he remembers. From the movie more than anything else and rightly so it's just a hilarious line but overall i think this is good comedy writing or dramedy yes. writing. this is the stuff that i think shows like ted lasso uh, lean in on where you have great lines that you can quote and you can appreciate but they don't detract from the overall story of caring about these characters and then there are these quiet moments where Doris is in his room and he's studying turns and it's when he asks Irv about about his experience and all these just pockets of moments that are so fantastic uh just make the story feel alive and again we're not talking about a documentary here we're talking about an event that took place and everything that that came around it so good and I think this was the invention of the slow hand clap. I think this is where it originated in Cool Runnings, even though that, that does not exist. Yeah, I don't know. It was a little much, but you know, it's the slow hand clap, and it's what I think, if done well, I think it works. So, yeah, 
um, great stuff, man. Well, one of the reasons Mon. that we great stuff, Mon. Mon. <laughs> <laughs> great stuff, Mon. You gotta do it like this, right there. <laughs> You're pretty good at that. Actually. I don't know if that's offensive that's not or terrible. not. I hope not. <laughs> oh, we're doing it respectfully, man. We've, yes. We, I mean, I'm not trying to appropriate. I'm not out in the world trying to act like I'm Jamaican. Is that inappropriate what we're doing? <laughs> Probably a, if we're bad at it. Yes. That was pretty good fun. That was a really, really good fun. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the Olympics coming up as we finish our conversation. We picked Cool Runnings, of course, because it's the Winter Olympics. and But this will also be the first time since those Olympics that a four-man team has actually qualified. Now, I know in Sochi, I think it was Sochi, a two-man team qualified, and, and it brought back you know memories of the movie and the first time that happened. But this year, we're getting the four-man. We're also getting the two-man. But we're also getting what's called the monobob, I think is what it's called. It's, it's called monobob. It's actually, it was not in the Olympics before, but it had been in some other events the last, okay. like, two years ago in some, like, kind of national level events. Okay. Yeah, not in the actual Olympics. Yeah, and I know you are you mentioned earlier in the show that you're excited about this and that you're probably going to be rooting for Jamaica, as am I. But as far as the Olympics as a whole, is there anything else that you're specifically just hyped about watching? Well, like I said, most of the sports I find to be watchable and interesting. I don't watch a ton of figure skating. I just don't keep up with that world anymore. I grew up watching it when my mom was, you know, really into it when I was a kid and cutting edge came out and the Nancy Kerrigan years and some before a few after I was, I really enjoyed it, but I don't, there's just something about it that doesn't necessarily make me change my schedule for it, I would say. And I don't really care too much about like speed skating. So a lot of the skating stuff, the, the ice hockey from a world perspective is I don't know. I just don't get into it as much. The NHL players aren't going to be there, which I guess could be a blessing or a curse. Maybe it's better for America this year. One of our, or my roommate, Ryan Kahn was telling me, he's like, yeah, that might could actually help us <laughs> if America, you know, without NHL players involved. So I might check that out. I don't know. I've gotten into hockey more now. The Kraken exists and I've been attending games and watching games, but for the most part, it's, you know, anything on a snowboard. I've never done it my entire life, even though I could just waddle over to a mountain that is 15 minutes away from me essentially and do it right here in Seattle but I'm terrified and I love snowcross specifically that new kind of racing event that they have where they have jumps and yeah, there snowboard are four, cross. yeah four guys side by side or four competitors women too side by side that one is just always fascinating to me and then you have you know your typical your half pipe stuff Chloe Kim Sean White in his last hurrah so obviously going to be into that. I love pretty much anything aerial jumping in nature. So all the snowboarding and skiing events that do that, there's a couple of new ones on the schedule this year for there as well. And then I love um, curling. I will watch the heck out of some curling. So just like a lot of Americans uh, or people around the world have been kind of just swept away. <laughs> get it like uh, sleeper and curling. Uh, yeah that's with good. that sport over the last few winter olympics i have as well and i again and i think it's also that one specifically you know we joked about i was kidding and saying oh i could do curling but i think that's what appeals to me about curling so much is like i play shuffleboard 
and it's the same thing, but on ice. And so there is such a relatability. I can't just go out and do a ski aerial, you know, tricks or a ski high jump, you know, speeding down without poles and, and crazy stuff. I can't do those things, but it feels like I could just go out and do curling. So I enjoy that as well. Um, yeah, I just, in general, I like the Winter Olympics a lot, and I am going to try and tune in as much as possible to, at the very least, the daily coverage shows. And it's going to be a really packed, busy couple of weeks because I'm still right. doing normal feel and film episodes and content. But I'm going to try and probably put all my other extra film watching and extra sport watching and you know, you know, gaming, any other hobbies. I'm going to try and put back on the back burner for two and a half weeks and really just get the most out of this while I can, while the time is here. I'm the absolute same way. We put everything on the back burner for two weeks and just tune into primetime. And try I didn't to say off. bobsled, bobsled and luge. I mean, come on. Like we're obviously <laughs> going to be, I want to see mono Bob. I've watched yeah. it and I've seen what it is now. And it's incredibly interesting. And luge is terrifying and awesome to watch and never yeah. ever do. Yeah. I think for me, I'm, probably in the same boat you are if it's on snow i'm going to watch it more than if it's on ice with the exception of those shoot races <laughs> like luge and bobsleigh but i think for me what's going to stand out is probably the downhill I, I really like the downhill and there's a small part of me that has the sadistic nature of wanting to see somebody just crash because these guys get fast going down the hill so watching them have that kind of control and hitting those jumps and stuff like that. It's, I mean, it's nail biting is really what it is. But I think pretty much anything on snow is what I'm I'm going to be down with. And I'm, I'm glad that the, that the X games have made their, their mark over the last, you know, 15, 20 years. I think, I don't know. I think maybe it was Vancouver when they were introduced. Maybe it was before that, but it really brought a, sense of youth and injected a really great young energy to the Olympics. They didn't feel as sort of obtuse to the rest of the world and the flying tomato. I'm just, I'm looking to see him go out with a bang. I think it's just going to be a lot of fun, but, uh, but yeah, I love the Olympics. And if you don't like the Olympics, that's cool. We can still be friends with, you know, if the, if the price is right, but I think for those that love the Olympics, please connect with us and tell us why you love them. This is going to be good. Well, this is going to do it for us. We hope you've enjoyed the conversation. We definitely have. And again, check out Cool Runnings on Disney+. Plus. If you've listened to this podcast, then you've been spoiled, but it shouldn't spoil your enjoyment of the movie. So if you haven't seen it or haven't seen it in a while, please do yourself a favor and check it out. Next week, we're hitting the theaters. We're going to the moon that's going to fall, courtesy of Roland Emmerich. Hopefully. It will be amazing. I know Aaron's, he's been just chomping at the I'm bit. I'm so he's excited. Like, he's like, January or February is going to be awesome. And th this is the reason why. You can't go wrong with the, with the cast that, that this movie is being made up of. So we'll be going that way next week. In the meantime, keep listening to us and keep enjoying the conversation. We'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. 
A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.